0: So I will indeed talk about the history and the culture behind the production of the literature. We'll get to that a little little later. Most of the works do stand on their own, even without any sort of historical or cultural commentary. But in many cases, that background information can enrich the experience, not replace the experience of reading the works themselves, but enrich it. Our focus throughout will be on the works themselves, and we will not be treating them as museum pieces, certainly not as dusty relics that someone is forcing us to read against our will or for our own good. That sort of force-feeding is hard to avoid sometimes in the conventional classroom, and it's a sure way to kill even the best literature. So here, in the ideal classroom, Our focus will be on the ways that this literature is alive, still speaks to us, in meaningful, enjoyable, and often compelling ways. Now, that should not be a hard sell, at least if the continuing popularity of these works is any indication. Greek tragedy, for example, has enjoyed a real renaissance on the stage and on the screen, in Chicago, at one time, in the year 2006, there were no fewer than two different productions going on at the same time—Aeschylus' Orestea, Sophocles' Antigone—different productions. We're going to look at both of those works in this course. At the same time, in New York, there was a version of Aeschylus's tragedy, Seven Against Thebes, done with a rap score. Even Homer's epics—not dramas themselves—are being brought to the stage. A version of Homer's Odyssey in London used his many travels and adventures to comment on issues of immigration. Another version of Homer's Odyssey, this time in a Kansas City children's theater, adapted that epic to emphasize the relationship between Odysseus and his son Telemachus. Staying with the Odyssey, in 2000-2001, there were no fewer than three movies playing at the same time, all of them based on that Homeric epic. O Brother, Where Art Thou, that explicitly acknowledged Homer. Cold Mountain, about a Civil War deserter trying to make his way back home through many trials and tribulations. And Corelli's Mandolin, a World War II story that follows in many of the footsteps of the Odyssey for those latter two My opinion is the books far surpass the movies. In public affairs, the U.S. invasion of Iraq prompted reference to some of these works that we're going to be looking at. Those opposed to the invasion staged readings of Aristophanes' comedy, Lysistrata, in which Greek women go on a sex strike to persuade their husbands to end a war with Sparta. We'll talk about that play later in this course. Some supporters of the war cited Greek historians, especially Thucydides, to bolster their position. And yes, we'll talk about Thucydides. Even the self-help shelves have an ancient slant sometimes. The book Plato, Not Prozac, promises to heal the psyche with philosophy rather than pharmaceuticals. I haven't read that one. And I've heard that there's some sort of guide to success in business that's based on Plato's dialogues. Socrates himself, as we'll hear, spent his life barefoot and in rags, so I'm not sure how that would work. And I haven't even mentioned in this brief survey the multiplicity of translations coming out, translations of these ancient works into English. Some of them are featured right out on the display tables, not stuck back in the scholarly classics section. Greek literature, in other words, is all around us. Now, there are self-styled purists who cringe at, say, Aeschylus performed by rappers or a disney Hercules or even, we might mention, the big-screen Homer in the movie Troy. Many of my esteemed colleagues have nothing but scorn for those refashionings, and I have great respect for my colleagues. But I think that these recastings, these reworkings, are just great. They speak to the ongoing vitality of these works, to their adaptability. I don't necessarily enjoy watching all of them.